We come to the end of Deuteronomy. Some of you may have thought we would never get here. 34 chapters. And uh, we also come to the end of the life of one of God's great servants. And uh, it's a subject that we're going to talk about today that we really don't like to talk about. But the reality is that just like after today we will close uh, the book of Deuteronomy, every single one of us in here at some point, they're going to close uh, the book of our life as well. Our days are going to come to an end. The number of days that the Lord has given us, uh, the opportunity to make much of Him, to uh, grow in knowledge with Him and relationship with Him, those days will come to an end. Last Saturday, I was at the, the many of you were as well, the funeral of Miriam Cromer. This afternoon, we'll be at the uh, funeral of Mary Pass's mother, uh, Grace. One day, I may be at your funeral. One day, you may be at my funeral. And the question becomes, what, what will they say? What, what will be said about us? I mean, again, it is a topic that, that no one wants to discuss, but it's a topic that every single one of us will face at some point in our lives. We will face it in regards to our loved ones. Our loved ones are going to face it in regards to us. When we mention that, there's, in my mind, when, when I, all week as I studied this, there are, there are people in my, li- in my life that I loved dearly that are no longer here. And, and, and that's, that's saddening. It's, it's, it's difficult to walk those roads. And, and some of us, you know, in, 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 I thought about Moses and his voice, and I thought about um, there are some of us who would just love to hear the voice of our loved ones again, if we could just hear their voice again. If, if we could just, because one of the sad realities of, of even being of sin and death and the way life is in this sinful world, you know, I, I thought about as I was studying this, my grandfather died many, many years ago, and I thought, man, I would just love, can I, can I think of his voice? Do I ever remember what his voice sounds like? And, and, and that's one of the many sad realities is that, is that time passes, their memories and, and all these things just seem to fade along, and life goes on. And for 34 chapters, we've heard the voice of Moses. For 40 years, for 40 years, Israel has heard the voice of Moses. And yet in this chapter, it recalls the fact that they will hear his voice no more. He'll lead them no more. For 34, for 34 chapters, Moses has taught us about the greatness of, of, of Israel's God, the greatness of our God. For 34 chapters, he's reminded Israel time and time again that they stand by grace. It is grace, it is grace, it is grace. For 34 chapters... And from here on out, Moses will personally teach them no more. Israel will never hear his voice again. Would they remember his voice? What would his voice be remembered for? Moses has done everything he can to make sure that Israel is set up, that they're on good footing to move forward without him, to make sure that his house, if you will, is set in order to make sure that when he departs, that, that everything will continue on as the Lord desired. He, he is commissioned a successor in Joshua. He has made sure that they knew that, look, God will be with you in Joshua just like he was with me. He's provided them a written manuscript of his farewell. He gave them a song to continue to sing that would remind them of God's goodness and what he desires of them. He's given them the word of God. He's given them the law. He's given them, again, the assurance that God would be with them. He's done everything he can to make sure that their house is in order. That when he... When he's gone, as he is now, that they would be set up for success in his absence, just like they were in his presence. And all that remains here in chapter 34 is is to record Moses' death and to record the people's reaction to his passing. And that's what I want to look at today. It's interesting, for a man that that spent most of it, you can break Moses' life really up into 40 years year segments, whether it's, whether it's growing up, whether it's in Egypt, whether it's the wilderness and all that. 
And, and he played a humongous part of Israel's history, a huge part of Israel's history. And yet, the account of his death is very, very short. Twelve verses. Twelve verses. Chapter, chapter 33 had 29 verses. Two weeks ago, Lee read 43 verses and didn't even get to an entire chapter. And yet, for Moses' death, there's 12 verses. I'm going to go to the funeral today. It'll probably last about an hour. 70, 80 years of somebody's life summed up in an hour. Very little. There's very little here that gives account of Moses' death. And I think as I thought about that and as I wrestled through that, I think that's the way Moses would want it. I think Moses would want very little, very little attention given to him and a lot of attention given to God. And that's what we see here in chapter 34. See, Moses didn't live for his name to be glorified. Moses didn't live for his name to be lifted up, for them to make much of his name. Moses lived for God's name to be glorified. Moses lived that God's name would be lifted up. Moses spent his life for God's glory and God's people, Israel. And that's the key. If we're going to die well, I believe that's the key. And we'll get to the point just one point for today, but, 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 but dying well is, is found in living well. And Moses lived his life as a memorial to God's grace, as a memorial to God's grace. Moses lived his life in order to make much of the great and awesome and incomparable Lord that he served. Moses sought to point others to to not to himself, but to this great God. Moses knew that his history and that Israel's history was a testament, not to anything they had done, it was a testament to God's grace. Their history was a testament to God's grace. And, we, and we've seen this throughout the book of Moses. I mean the book of Moses, the book of Deuteronomy. God, God's grace has been what everything has been about, what Moses was consistently Pointing to the need to remember the grace of God, the need to remember, the need to remember. And even in his death, even in his death and not being enter, allowed to enter the promised land, the grace of God is shining through. Look, look at verse 4. Mo, or Moses goes up, he, God allows him to go up on the plains to see the land, to take a glimpse of the vastness of the land. And if you looked at the geography of this, it is a huge land. And look at verse 4. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. Even in Moses' death, God is being gracious. You remember back in Numbers 20, God commanded Moses to speak to the rock, and the rock would give forth water, and in anger, Moses struck the rock. And God says, because you have not counted me, you have not believed me and treated me as holy, you will not go, you will not lead these people into the promised land. That's Numbers 20, verse 12. God told Moses, you're not going to lead this people into the promised land. But even in my discipline for your sin, even in, my, even in your death, God is seen as being gracious again. Again. He allows him to take a look at the land. He, even in his discipline and even in his death, there is great grace. God reminds Moses here of his faithfulness. He takes him all the way back to Genesis 12 when God told Abraham, I will make your descendants as numerous as the sand on the shore, as the stars in the sky, and all of this land will be yours. And God says, see, I've been faithful, Moses. I've been faithful. Even in, even in death, I was faithful. Even in death, God did exactly what He told Moses He would do. In spite of their sin, in spite of Moses' sin, God remained faithful. And you see that even in His death. And there is a foundational truth here that we need to walk away with, that we must believe if we're going to live well in this fallen and sinful world, if we're going to live as God has called us to, if we're going to live well and conversely die well, We've got to believe this foundational truth. And Moses lived, and here it is, Moses lived knowing that God will always be faithful to His Word. God will always be faithful to His Word. In life, in death, in sin, in, in, He will always remain faithful to His Word. And that's what he says in verse 4. The Lord's, this is the land that I swore to you. 
I promised you that I would do it, and in spite of you, I've done it. Everything that God did, everything that He did in Moses' life, everything that He had done in Israel, went back to a promise that He had made to Abraham many, many years ago. He said, I'll give you this land. I'll do it. And God was faithful. And again, even in, even in Moses' death, He was faithful. The question becomes, why did Moses die? Was it, was it poor health? Was it old age? Was it accidental? We have no indication that it was any of those things. Look at verse 7. Although Moses was 120 years old when he died, look at it. His eye was not dim, nor his vigor abated. It wasn't because of old age. It wasn't because of lack of health. Moses died simply because that was God's divine plan. God had disciplined and said, you will not go into the land. It's time for the people to enter the land. Therefore, it's time for you to die. Your days are up. The days that I've numbered you are up. The people are about to enter the land. They're ready. Moses has ran his race. He's, he stayed in his lane, if you will. He was faithful. And God had told him in Numbers 20, you will not enter the promised land. It's time for the people to enter the land. Therefore, Moses, the time is up. Part of God's plan. His sovereignty. Look with me at Psalm 139, verse 16, to, to, see, to see this clearly. And this is true not only of Moses, but this is true of all of us. Psalm 139, 16, Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. When, when does that teach us that God numbered our days? Before there was even one. This isn't a reaction. This isn't a response. God in His sovereignty had numbered Moses' days before there was one. He's numbered every single one of our days before there was even one. Look with me at, at Hebrews 9, verse 27 as well, and, and you'll see the same, the same truth. Hebrews 9, verse 27. And inasmuch as it, as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. It's appointed. There, there's an appointment that waits every single one of us. For some of us, this may be the first appointment that we will ever make on time. I promise you, you'll make this appointment on time. Because God is sovereign. He, he's numbered our days. He, he, he has numbered them when as yet there was one. And there's an appointed time waiting every single one of us, and, and we will all die. And as soon as I say that, it, it, it introduces the whole argument about God's sovereignty and, and man's responsibility and, and how do you balance God numbering our days with, with this and with that. And, and guess what? I don't have all the answers, but I do know this, that God is sovereign. And I do know this, that He's numbered his, our days. And yet at the same time, I do know this, that man is responsible. And how those two work together, I don't know. And, and I, I, as soon as I say that, I know some of your stories. You, 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 there are people in here, they have lost their children way too young. There are, they've lost loved ones way too young. And I don't have answers for that other than God is sovereign. I don't know how God's sovereignty and man's responsibility always balances out. I don't know those answers. But I know they do. And I know that God is sovereign, and we have to trust that. I know that God is good, and we have to trust that. And I know that His ways are not our ways, Isaiah 55 tells me. And I have to trust that too. And Moses trusted all of these things and trusted in God's faithfulness and in all of these and followed the Lord faithfully. Not perfectly. Moses did not follow perfectly. He followed faithfully. Moses was far from perfect. His, his, his life was riddled with imperfections, just like ours, and yet God, Moses followed faithfully. And look, in Moses' death, look what he's called. He's called the in verse 5. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab. What a title to be given by the Lord when you die. We can be called a lot of things when we die, and Moses was called servant of the Lord. And that is an amazing declaration for somebody to be given when they die. Servant of the Lord. Amazing. 
And, and that, that's really, that one phrase is what got me thinking about, about this sermon and this chapter and, and how to sum it up. Every, every single one of us, whether we like to think about it or not, has to realize that just like Moses, that we have a finite number of days here on this earth that God has granted to us. To know Him, to serve Him, to glorify Him. The reality is this, short lives do not mean insignificant lives. No more than long lives means significant lives. How we treasure, how we steward the number of days that He's given us, that's where the significant come from. It's not in the number of days, it's in how you steward and shepherd those number of days. Long lives do not mean, just because they lived a long time, they could have wasted all those years. I know people that have made more of an impact in a very, very short time frame than others did in 80 years. How you live those days is what matters. Some people, again, they make huge impacts in short lives. Others, no impact in long lives. I don't understand why God allows some people that that love Him with all their heart to to go home seemingly early and then others who hate Him and, and don't do anything for Him and despite, they live long lives. I don't know how that works. If I was God, I would do that differently. But I, yet I know this, precious in the sight of our Lord is the home going of one of His saints. And I do know Philippians 1 says that death is gain for a believer. And I have to believe that. The reality is, Paul says in Philippians 1, he longed to die, but he said, hey, if I die, that's gain. If I, if I live, it's fruitful labor for me. He said, either way, I, either way I'm going to glorify the Lord. And the right question to ask, and the question that I want us to ask today is, what kind of life warrants or deserves being called a servant of the Lord when we die? How can someone live a life that receives that designation at the end of their life? I think we would all, if we were, um, if we were honest, would, would hope if we were asked today, we would say, we would hope that that would be what people would say about us when we die. But the question becomes this, are you living that way now? Are you living that way now? How can someone take whatever the number of days that God has allotted them and use them in such a way to be described at the end of their life, a servant of the Lord? And that is what I feel like the Lord wants to challenge us with today. The question is this, how do we die well? All of us are going to die. If the Lord does not return prior to that, we are all going to die. How do we die well? And, if we're, and, and the point that I want us to hear today is this, and you see it on your handout. It, we must prepare to die well by first living well. We must prepare to die well by first living well. L- listen, listen to these descriptions of, of some of God's servants here. Genesis 25, verse 8. Listen, listen to this, what it says about Abraham. These are all, the, verse 7, these are all the years of Abraham's life that he lived, 175 years. That's old, okay? Abraham, listen, verse 8. This is, what, this is what I want us to hear. Abraham breathed his last and died in a ripe old age, an old man and satisfied with life, and he was gathered to his people. Think about the joy of being able to die and being able to say about your life, I was satisfied with my life. Satisfied. Abraham was satisfied. Why why was he satisfied? Because he didn't waste his life. Because he lived for what mattered. Look look with me at Acts 13, verse 36, talking talking about David. Acts Acts 13, verse 36, it says, For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid among his fathers and underwent decay. That's a blessing. Laid among his fathers and underwent decay. But but listen to what it says. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, he was appointed a time. He was appointed a set, of, a set of days, a number of days. And he, and he served the Lord. He committed his life to the Lord. And, and so we ask our question, how do these things get said about us when, in our lives? And it starts, I'm challenging you, it starts with how you live now. 
you keep the end in mind and whatever you want to be said about you at the end, live that way now. Start now. Because what people say about us when we die is rooted in how we live while we're alive. What people are going to say after I die, it's rooted in how I live now. I say rooted. If we chronicled your life, what would, what would it mention? We've, we've done this the last couple of weeks, and we're not going to take a lot of time for this, but just a self-assessment. You see it on your handout. How would you complete this sentence? God used me to do what? Fill in the blank. God used me to do what? What, what is God using you to do right now? If, if someone was to sum up your life right now, how would they fill in the blank? Blank lives for what? And, and the question becomes, are you satisfied with that? Are you okay with what they would fill in the blank? And, and the better assessment might be to ask somebody else. Not fill in the blank yourself, it might be to ask somebody else, hey, what would you say I live for? What would you say the, the theme of my life is? What would you say the purpose of my life is? How, how would you fill in the blank? Is, any, is anyone else going to be in heaven because of your life? Has anyone else been impacted for, with the kingdom because of your life? Because just like Moses, every single one of us gets a finite number of days to serve the Lord while we're here on this earth. A finite number. How are we doing with them? What are people going to say about us? It, it, do we see God using us? Are we available to be used? Are we prepared to be used? I mean, you think about, contemplate Moses' life just for a minute and what Moses saw the Lord do through his life. His birth and, and protection there and God providing and him ending up in, in Pharaoh's house, being raised by Pharaoh, growing up in the palace. But what about the, could you, the Exodus? God using him through the Exodus. The Passover. The parting of the Red Sea, the plagues, the Ten Commandments. It's interesting, as Lee read, it says, Since that time, verse 10, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. For all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to perform in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh, all his servants and all his land, all the mighty power and all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of Israel. Full life. Moses, Moses had the privilege of, of seeing God do some awesome things through his life. The question becomes why? The question becomes how? And the answer is because Moses was faithful. Because Moses believed God. Because Moses exhibited faith. Moses was available. Yeah, God is sovereign and, and God chose Moses. I get that. And yet Moses walked by faith. See, we, we, we tend to go to people like Moses and Abraham and these and say, well, there's they, something. Yeah, there was something special, but, but listen, but listen. They responded to God by faith. We have that same responsibility and privilege today to respond to God by faith. Look with me at 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, it says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Spirit which is in you whom you have from God and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Just, just like Abraham, just like the rest of them, we, we have three truths that we have to believe based on this passage. Number one is that God made me. God made you. He made you. Secondly, He bought you. Jesus Christ's death on a cross was to buy you out of the slave market of sin. That's what the word redemption means. He redeemed you. He bought you out. As a believer, if you're here as a believer. Thirdly, he we are to glorify God in your body. He says, therefore, glorify God in your body. Before we try to separate ourselves and excuse ourselves for, for maybe not measuring up, you've got to understand, the same opportunity faces you that faced Moses. Look, look at Hebrews 13 with me for a moment. Hebrews 13, or 11, Hebrews 11, verses 23 and following. They should come up on your screen there. Hebrews 11. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. Why did that happen? By faith. Because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. 
They feared God more than they feared man. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Listen, choosing rather to endure choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God rather than enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Did you get that? By faith. By faith, he chose that. Look, considering the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, verse 27, he left Egypt not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was unseen. By faith, verse 28, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that he would, who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. By faith, verse 29, they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land, and the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. What, what does that tell you? What was Moses' life rooted in? Faith. Everything Moses did was rooted in faith in his awesome God. It was in faith. And the same is true for us today. Hebrews eleven six. without faith it is impossible to please God. Romans 1, the righteous shall live by faith. There, there are no free passes. Whether you're David, whether you're Abraham, whether you're Moses, whether you're and I in Odessa, the righteous shall live by faith. If we want to please God, if we want to honor God, if we, want, we, we have to live by faith. You can look at Galatians 3, verse 6. Same thing. Galatians 3, verse 6. Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, it is to those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Faith. You, look at it, you go back to Hebrews 11, we won't do that, but every single person listed there, it was by faith. And I love what it says. It says, he chose ill treatment. He chose to live for the Lord rather than live for the passing temporal pleasures of sin. And every single one of us have that same choice today. Look, look with me at Matthew 10. Matthew 10, verse 39. Matthew writes this, He who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. Matthew 16, verse 25. says, for, whatever, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Every single person in here, every single person that's ever lived has two choices. Two choices. In how we spend our life. We can live for ourselves. We, we can choose to live our lives for ourselves, and eventually we will lose our life. Or we can choose to lose our life by faith, by living for Christ. In the end, we will gain our life. Two choices. Moses, by faith, chose to say, I will not enjoy the passing pleasures of sin and living in Pharaoh's house. Instead, I will choose to live amongst my people. He could have, he could have, he could have found his life on a temporal, earthly level, and yet he would have lost it. And instead, by faith, he chose to lose it and he's declared to be a servant of the Lord. Every single one of us face the, same, face the same choices. Same choices as Moses. In Galatians 5, Paul writes, For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Live for self, live for the Lord. Two choices. We can try to gain our life, by living by sight, and eventually we will lose our life. Or we can live by faith in what is unseen, but is more real than anything else, and live for the Lord, and He says, in the end, you will gain your life. We, we all get one shot. We get one shot at our life. One shot. How will we live it? And again, this isn't number of days stuff. This is quality of days. How will we live it? Who will we live it for? What will we live it for? And that's why throughout the Bible we see a call for discipline. We discipline ourselves, we discipline ourselves to do what matters most, what we value most. And if we want it bad enough, we'll go after it. And, and it comes down to value and desire and delight. Moses cared more about honoring the Lord than he did the passing pleasures of sin, and therefore he 
forsook that life. 1 Timothy 4, 7 says to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. There's a lot of ways that we can be disciplined. Uh, Paul is saying discipline yourself not for worldly things, but for, for heavenly, eternal gain. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. As I was reading and, and studying that this week on just the idea of discipline, I came across, I was reminded of Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards was a, uh, a, an individual that God used to do some amazing things. I'm sure you're familiar with that name. He was a very, very disciplined person. He had what were called these, um, they were resolutions. And, and, and he wrote them out very, very early on in his life. There were many, many of them. And he had them numbered. Resolution 1, Resolution 2. I, I want to read you one. Resolution number 17. Resolution number 17. Listen to what he says. Resolved that I will live so as I shall wish I had done when I come to die. Resolved that I will live in a way that I will want my name to be remembered when I die. He had the end in mind. Resolved that I will live so as I shall wish I had done when I came to die. When I get to the end of my life, he says, I don't want to regret the way I live my life. When I get to the end, I'm going to live every day. So when I come to the end of my days, I will not regret the way I live my life. Discipline. He, he disciplined himself to end in such a way with the end in mind. The question becomes this, what do we want to be known for? What impact do we want to make in, in our life? Live that way now. Because we don't know when our days are up. If we want to be known as a servant of the Lord, if we want this subscript to be placed on our name when we die, then we better serve the Lord now. And the overarching theme, what, what, what the Bible teaches us and declares and what Moses teaches us and declares is the overarching theme and passion for our life must be Jesus' glory and not our own. Jesus' glory. Anything else, anything else is, is, is falling short. God's glory is the answer to all of life's major questions. Why am I here? God's glory. What is life about? God's glory. What do I exist to do? God's glory. What am I designed to do? God's glory. That's the answer. That is the biblical answer. Let me say that. That's the biblical answer to all those questions. Look with me at Isaiah uh, 43, verses 6 and 7. Isaiah 43, verse 6 and 7. I, I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Listen, everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have made. Why were we created for God's glory? We were created to be representatives for God. The answer to why am I here, why do I exist, what am I here for? God's glory. That's the answer, God's glory. And the challenge for all of us is that is this, we can pursue our happiness outside of God's glory. We see it all the time in our own lives. We can do that. But, but here, here's the lie, here's the miss. God is not glorified simply by His creation being happy. There are a lot of things that make me happy, supposedly make me happy, that do not glorify God. They will not honor God. True, eternal, lasting happiness is bound up in God's glory. It's bound up in me living for God. It's bound up in me seeking to make much of God. That's where are my true purpose. That's what I was created for. You were created for that. And, and our true happiness is bound up in doing what we were created to do. That's glorify God. That's what we were created to do. It's like trying to take a tool and use it for something it's not intended to be used for. We were not intent. We don't exist for our happiness. We're not here just to just to gain as much for the world and then die. We exist for God's glory. You can go all the way to Genesis one. We exist to be His representatives. Obviously, sin has made that difficult. Sin has marred that. But yet, God put His own Son on a cross to redeem that to make it possible. He puts the Holy Spirit in us to live through us to make it possible. 
And, and we have to live for God's glory. John Piper, whom you know that I love and, and love to read, John Piper said this, Pursuing God's glory is one and the same as pursuing my joy. I, I think if we asked ourselves, if we were honest, we would oftentimes we would separate God's glory and our joy as not one and the same pursuit. And what John Piper is saying and what the Bible is saying is that's not true. The pursuit of God's glory is one and the same as the pursuit of my joy. Doing what we were created to do, fulfilling the purpose that we were created to fulfill, that's where true happiness lies. Doing what we were designed to do. And it, will we believe by faith that pursuing God's glory and pursuing our joy are one and the same things? Because the world will say, no, 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 forget that. You pursue your happiness at all costs, no matter what, you pursue your happiness. And the world is doing that every day. You and I, let's be honest, we're doing that every single day. We cannot separate God's glory and our joy. Our joy is found and bound up in doing what we are created to do that is glorify God. And the question becomes this, will we live to magnify ourselves, or will we live to magnify God? We can't do, because they're, they're mutually exclusive. John 3.30, he must increase, I must decrease. It's one and the same. If, if I live to make much of me, I'm going to make less of God. If I live to make much of God, I'll do that by making less of me. But guess what? God has said, I'll make much of you, Chris. I'll make much of you. It's denying self. It's losing, his li losing my life for his sake, knowing that in the end, I'll find it. Versus seeking to gain my life by sight and eventually losing it. And, and hear me, none of us will be perfect. None of us in here will be perfect. I'm not perfect, you're not perfect. But, but we've got to ask the tough questions. What do we desire to do? What do we want to do? And, and some of us, some of us the, the application of this might be what David prayed in Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Restore the joy of my salvation. Create a desire, Lord. Sin has snuffed it out and the world has snuffed Fan that flame and light a desire for your glory. Paul, and look at Paul in, in 1 Corinthians 2. You're talking about discipline? Paul said this about his life, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Singular passion, singular vision, singular aim for Paul's life was what? Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Singular passion. Single focus, single desire. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Look, look at these other passages. Acts 20, verse 24. And hopefully they will challenge, but yet encourage us. He says this, But I do not consider my life of any account... As dear to myself. I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself. Why? So that I may finish my course in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of, gra of the grace of God. Single focus to testify to the grace of God. Paul writes in Philippians 3, verses 7 and 8. Look at what he, listen to Paul's life. He says, But whatever things were gained to me, I have counted those things as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish so that I may gain Christ. He said, I count, I, I have, I've counted all that rubbish. Why? Because I want to know Christ. I want to gain Christ. Philipp Galatians 2, 19 and 20. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live, which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. It's a singular focus for the driving passion, the driving delight, the driving goal of all of our lives has to be him. It has to be God's glory. God desires to be made much of through the lives of His people. Psalm 34, 3 declares that. He says, 
Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. That, that was why we chose our memory verse of Psalm 145, verse 3. I will extol you, my God, O King. I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you. I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and highly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. You want a purpose to live for? You want a reason to live? Go back to the Bible, the foundational one. We exist for God's glory. We exist to magnify the name of our great God. Why we are here today is to worship and to remind ourselves of our great God in spite of life's hurts, in spite of sin, in spite of Satan's attacks, to try to question that. And, and hear me, assume, if, I don't say this for sympathy, but, but the, one of the things that has, has struck me as, being, as learning to be a pastor and as preaching, because of the size of this church, I have the blessing of getting to know you. I have the blessing of feeling like I have, I'm get, not all, I'm sure as I say that, I don't know all of you as well as I, I, I wish I did. But I do know a lot of your stories. And, and the challenge for me is standing up here preaching, knowing that I have not walked through half of what you guys have walked through. I know nothing about walking through trials like many of you have walked through. And, and just hear me, that, that's a challenge for me. I don't, I hope you catch my heart. I, I, want us to, I want us to seek God with all our hearts. And I'm not saying that, that, that it's easy. I'm not saying that it's that, that just willy-nilly. Sin is real. The, the effects of living in a sinful world are real. And we're walking through some very difficult things. Many, many, many of us, if not all of us. But what I'm challenging us with, and I, what I want to believe is this, that no matter what, God is great and worthy to be praised. No matter what we walk through, no matter what we face, that doesn't mean that He is not great and not worthy to be praised. And I want us to be a people that can say that no matter what, we will seek to magnify the Lord. And, and when I say magnify the Lord, I want, remember this, it, it, it's not magnifying like a telescope, it's magnifying like a microscope. I mean, it's magnifying like a telescope, not a microscope. A microscope takes something very small. A microscope takes something very small and makes it bigger than what it actually is. That, that's not what we do to God. God is awesome. His greatness is unsearchable. We're not making Him greater than He is. We're magnifying Him like a telescope. A telescope looks way out there and takes something that is great and awesome and actually reveals it for what it actually is. When we magnify the Lord, we're not adding to Him because He's perfect. We're simply recognizing how awesome He actually is. And, and that's the way we, reason why we need to grow and mature. You can take a dust mite and put it under a microscope, and that thing will look intimidating like a monster. It's a dust mite. That's not what we do to the Lord. The reality is to pretend to do that to the Lord is actually wickedness. But you take the Hubble telescope, and the Hubble telescope can look at stars that are so far out there that they look like this, and yet through the Hubble telescope you see them as the billions and billions of stars that they actually are. That's the way that we're magnifying God. We're showing Him off for how great He actually is, not revealing something new. We're not trying to add to Him. We're revealing how great He actually is. Our worship is recognizing the greatness of God and realizing as we memorized hopefully this week that His greatness is unsearchable. That's how awesome He is. And, and we, we, we waste opportunities in our lives when we don't pray and think and dream and plan in a way that magnifies God. When we don't seek to live in ways that magnify God, God created us to worship Him, to magnify Him, to make people realize the greatness of who He is. And that is what it means in part, in some part, to be created in His image, is to show the world how awesome and great He is. We are more meant to bring forth the image of God. And that's the essence of what Paul was getting to in 1 Corinthians 6.12. He says, 
All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. The question is this, are, are, are we going to build our lives around what is permissible? Or are we going to build our lives around what is profitable? Are we going to build our, thing, build our lives around things that are temporal and die with us? Or are we going to build our lives around things that are eternal and last? Are, are we going to build our lives around making much of self and ourselves and our happiness? Or are we going to build a life that makes God magnified and great? And, and ask ourselves the tough questions. What is the passion of your life? How would you fill in that blank? What is the passion of your life? How, how would you answer that? What makes you tick? If your life was summed up, if we gave your funeral right now, how would we describe you? What, what would we say about you? John Cromer, Dr. Cromer sitting back there. Beautiful service for his wife, Miriam. Pastor Ken and I had the privilege of being a part of that. That was a very easy funeral to do. Many, 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 many years of faithful living by Miriam Cromer. Very, very easy funeral. I, I can honestly say to you that that is not always the case, unfortunately. I've done many, many, many funerals that were not easy to do. Four kids that loved Miriam, all loved the Lord, husbands, wives that loved the Lord, kids that loved the Lord, and, and all of them pointed back to Miriam Cromer. Huge impact through Miriam Cromer. And, and, and I, I realize, guys, that we don't want to talk about it and think about it, but we need to live today how we want to be remembered. We need to make sure that we're on the right track today. And, and if you're like me, when you hear this, I think about all the ways that I fall short. Wondering, what are my kids, what, what kids going to think about me? Are they going to think of me as the dad who just keeps saying, chew with your mouth closed, don't talk with your mouth full. Sit still in the chair while we're eating dinner. Stop making that noise. I hate extra noises. Just hear me. Obviously, obviously. There's no reason to make unnecessary noises. I mean, I've tried to change. I tried to get into the passenger seat while the car was moving and let Karen try to drive so I could figure out where that little rattle is in the car. But, but what, am I, what are my kids going to remember me for? Being a, a neat freak around the house and worried about one little thing being out of place or, or the dad that loved them and, and let them be the kid but yet pushed them towards the Lord. What am I going to be remembered for? And, and here's the reality. I want us to walk out of here encouraged by this. Every single one of us are sinners. Every single one of us falls short in many, many ways. If you're sitting here today wondering that you've missed it, worried you've missed it, hey, join the fan club. And that's why the body of Christ comes together to encourage one another, to get back up, to dust ourselves off and keep moving. And here's what I would encourage you with today, and this is the verse that, that God has encouraged me with and continually does. Romans 5.20. Listen to me. Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Where sin increased, listen to me, God's grace increased all the more. As I was preparing this, I thought about the years that I've wasted. The time that I've wasted doing other things other than pursuing the Lord. And I was reminded of Joel 2.25 that says this, that God can restore the years that the locust has eaten away. He'll restore the years. If we'll run to Him and ask forgiveness, if we will repent of our sinfulness, if we will look to Christ and the blood as being sufficient for our sin, God's grace will overcome our sin at every single point if we'll confess it. And no matter what our past has looked like, God's grace allows us to rewrite our story today, to begin rewriting our story today. 
close. Maybe some of us need to close the chapter on some some chapters of our lives that just maybe have been lived for the wrong things. Start today. God's grace allows that. Start being faithful today. Start glorifying the Lord today. And may the final chapters of our life be what they said about Moses, a servant of the Lord. And the reality is, as I thought about that, we see that in Moses. What, did Mo, what was Moses' life characterized by early, early on? What did he do with that Egyptian? He murdered him. Murdered him. Murder. The early chapters of Moses' life, he murdered an Egyptian. And yet, by God's grace, you don't think about that when you think about Moses. Because he rewrote the chapters with faithfulness. And where sin abounded, God's grace much more abounded. And the final chapters of Moses' life were covered by faithfulness. They were covered by serving the Lord. And that is a testament to God's great grace that's not only available to Moses, it's available to every single one of us. We see that in Abraham. He fled to Egypt and lied about who Sarah was because he didn't trust. David, you've got a murderer, a liar, an adulterer, and yet he's characterized as a man after God's own heart. Grace. What I'm not saying is live how you want to live and then just appeal to grace. That's an abuse of grace. What I am saying is where we fail, God's grace much more abounds. And I close with Mark 8.36. Consider this. Mark 8.36 says, What would it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? What would it profit man to gain the whole world forfeit his soul? What would it profit a person to live their whole life and realize at the end of the day they missed it? If you're here today and you're not completely 100% sure that you're trusting in the the Lord Jesus Christ and the blood He shed on Calvary for the the forgiveness of your sins. I I would beg you to do that today. And if you've done that and maybe you're not living that out, maybe you've not responded to that accurately, I would beg you to do that today. Maybe that's the start for each of us. Maybe it's to confess our sinfulness and, and and. Trust completely in the blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. Others, it may be to just close the book on what's happened so far and start living faithfully today. Whatever it is, I I pray that we would have the boldness and the faith to do it. That God would grant us that. that. That we would live clean in two ways. That we would be clean before God because our sins have been forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ and we would live clean before men because we've been forgiven by people that we've offended. Clean before God, clean before men. Some of us, the response may be to go seek forgiveness where forgiveness is needed. Whatever it is, I pray that we would live well so that we would die well. And so that we could be called servants of the Lord.